testing one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. I'm Ben McAdams, and I represent Utah's 4th Congressional District. Before I was elected last November, I was the mayor of Salt Lake County. It's my belief that Washington might work better if we thought about governing the country the way mayors approach leading their communities. In this podcast, I'm hoping to show you what being a member of Congress is really like, and whether it's possible to run this country the way we run our local governments. Welcome to Washington. So I'm here with my longtime friend, Marissa Baradaran. Marissa is a uh, BYU grad, not a Utah native, but a BYU grad. And then we met um, after you, you graduated from law school. I graduated from law school. No, actually, we met when you were at Columbia, and I was, oh, bef- I was yeah. deciding to go to okay. Columbia or NYU. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so <laughs> then after law school, we became closer friends because you went to the same law firm that I was at. And so we practiced law together for several years uh, before I made my way back to Utah, and you went into academia. So mm-hmm. Marissa is now a professor of law at the University of Georgia. And she testified, just coincidentally, um, testified before my committee today, the Financial Services Committee, on the reauthorization of the CRA, the Community Reinvestment Act. Really technical stuff that that we'll go into a little bit during the podcast. But Marissa, do you want to say a little bit to introduce yourself and then we'll go? Sure. Yes. Um, uh, You know, it was so great when I saw the subcommittee. Everyone's like, oh, this is a committee, you know, or, you know, AOC and all these people. I'm like, it's Ben's committee. So I was (laughs) super excited to see Ben. And and it's, you know, it's rare to find a congressperson who has, first of all, that, you know, has the background, um, but also the knowledge of the financial industry and, you know, someone from my, you know, uh, same firm, so understands yeah. what we both understood at the firm, right? So tell me, you went, so we were at a firm called Davis Polk and Wardwell in New York, both practicing in this in this sector, the financial sector. Um, you left from there to teach law. Tell tell listeners and myself kind of about your, your corporate law. Tell me what you teach. And- yeah, so I um, well actually uh, went back into uh, academia after the firm, after I had some children. Um, some of which were born right when uh, Ben's children were born also. But I teach about banking law, and I teach about um, c- contracts and, and basically all sorts of financial transactions, and that's what I did at the firm. And I think we were both in capital markets, and I moved into the banking um, uh, group and, and was there during the financial crisis and saw sort of how that went down. And so that's where I gained my sort of knowledge on the industry level. And then going back into academia, I've just kind of dug into how banks work and, and all of that stuff. So before we get into your, the, your, the subject of your testimony, how, tell me how it works to how you end up sitting in front of a congressional committee testifying, how the invite comes, how you get on people's radar screens and whatnot. Yeah, right. I don't know. Um, but I think, so I do, uh, I've written a lot of articles and, and uh, sort of like maybe six articles and two books now and then a bunch of other op-eds. And, you know, you have to sort of write about a thing that Congress is doing a hearing on. And so the CRA is actually not something that is hugely squarely in my wheelhouse. Um, I would have expected that I would have been testifying on sort of postal banking or racial wealth gap, but 
Um, the Congressman Meeks, the, the chair of the committee staff, someone read my book and saw in there that I do have a chapter where I cover the CRA and said, hey, can you come testify? And then they just basically leave you free. They say, hey, we're having this committee. We're looking at the witness list. Can you do this? They call you a bunch of times and they say, okay, well, what do you know? And they kind of like vet you. So I had a bunch of calls with a bunch of people and they want to see, I guess, that you're not a crazy person, that you're not going to come and be like, okay, tear the whole thing down. So I had these calls and then they said, okay, then they just leave you alone. So you have to write a written testimony. And I think they invited me like Wednesday of last week and I was out in Seattle doing like a thing. So I had to do this testimony in like you know, a couple of days, but you know, it's something that I know about. So then you uh, send in your written testimony and then you have five minutes as you saw, and they're very strict about five minutes. And so you, you do that, but, but you know, um, it is, it's hard to, uh, to encapsulate, you know, everything into, uh, what they want to talk about. And every legislator obviously has their thing that they want to say. And so as a witness, you're just kind of there to offer knowledge if needed, but not really relevant sometimes. And so then you gave your testimony today, and um, then each committee member gets five minutes to pepper the witnesses. And so yeah. and they go in order of seniority. So as a new member of Congress, I'm way down on the seniority <laughs> list. But um, I just think that seems really nerve-wracking. I felt like I was in the more comfortable position that I just, I, you know, got to ask the questions and that. But you have to, you could be asked a question on anything, right? And, and they did. They, they, you got peppered from, you know, all different angles and sides. And what did that feel like? Oh, you know, it's funny. I actually wanted more questions because this is an area that I... I know quite well. I mean, there's a lot of places where I wouldn't want to be asked questions, but here it's like, look, I know this area and I've, one, you know, once you've written a lot about this, there isn't, I wasn't worried about getting caught off guard. It's just the, the questions that they're asking need a certain outcome. And so I knew that a lot of these questions were not going to be to me because they, they're, you, you can tell that they want you to say a particular thing, right? So the Republicans, and it was interesting, right? It wasn't really a contentious hearing. As you saw, the Republicans were like, yes, CRA. And the Democrats were like, yes, CRA. And so I was kind of trying to look at the nuances and the questions. And I think the Republican questions, you know, there's one Republican witness and even that witness was like, yes, CRA. And the CRA is the Community Reinvestment Act, right? So the idea is Banks were redlining, meaning they weren't lending into low-income communities that were mostly black and brown. And this law that was passed in 1977 says, look, you can't do that, <laughs> right? You can't redline communities. This is not something that, um, you know, uh, is fair, whatever. So, so you know, so the Republicans were not saying that we should get rid of the, the CRA. That's not what the debate was about. But they were they were saying things like, well, shouldn't we update it? And of course. And the, the Democrats were, of course, saying, shouldn't we update it? But also... Here are these massive problems. And so I think there was really large agreement. And the questions really came down to what does updating it look like? Um, and as we talked about, look, 98% of the banks passed the CRA, yet we still have like a historic racial wealth gap. We still have crazy discrimination in the housing sector. And so something is going wrong. And so so I think it was what what the point that I wanted to make is, look, you have to align incentives here. If banks are going to be incentivized to just check boxes to pass this thing, which they have to do, they're not going to lend to the areas of highest need. They're going to do the least amount of work. I mean, look, if I were to, when I grade, right, if I said 98% of you are going to pass, I'm going to get a different kind of test taking than if I said 50% of you are going to pass and you better know the material. And so I think that's the, that's what I was trying to get across is, look, this is not a hard thing. It should be even harder, but it, you know, it's obviously an outdated law that needs to be updated.
So, and, and part of it was, you know, it's kind of like t- teaching to the test, right? If people right. know what they can do, exactly. then, the, then uh, you know, in class, if you know that the test is going to be on these five things, then you're not going to study the other five things that might be super fascinating. Right. And, uh, and as you're trying to bridge the racial wealth gap and, and provide access to opportunities to low-income or disadvantaged communities, uh, and then you say... You know, but if you if you are innovative and you do push the limits and you're doing new things, you might be you might not pass the test, right? So people, it, there's an incentive for banks to be really conservative, to just do the minimum, to check the boxes, and and those boxes do good things in our communities, to be sure. But it maybe isn't solving a problem that it was intended to solve as well as it could, right? And no, I don't think it is. I mean, and that's why I'm, I'm I'm ambivalent about this law, you know. And I think, and that's why it's it's hard in this format to 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 be clear. But that's why I love being an academic, is I can write a whole book and say, these are the good things, these are the bad things. Just don't press me on exactly what what specific policy because I I don't. I think we need way more than this. Um, this was well intended, and it's it's good, and banks should definitely be doing this. But it's not enough, and I think that's sort of what what I wanted to say is because, like you said, you know, gaming the test is, you know, um, banks are going to do you know financial education classes. They're going to do you know um, lending to developments that are profitable. You know, and they should. Banks should be able to make profits. Like I fundamentally believe that, and they should be able to tell their shareholders that this is our ROI and ROE and all of that stuff. I get that, but these communities also need services. So, what do you do if banks need to have profits? And sometimes there's low profit needs in these communities. And so, my sort of preferred thing is let's have public options, right? So, if we need bank accounts and people, some people are too poor to have a bank account at a bank. Let's just give them a bank account, right? Do it at the post office, do it at the public library, do it through some other means, right? So, so, I, so I think there's a lot more that can be done, but I'm glad that at least this stuff is getting attention. And, um, you know, like Ben asked, Congress, Congressman Ben, <laughs> asked, you know, did, did, did a really good question. I think that got to the heart of the CRA toward the end there. Like you said, you're the junior yeah, right. person, but asked a really important question. It's like, look, you know, these are these huge initiatives that you had in Salt Lake, like the homelessness issues and these low-income communities, but banks don't get CRA credit for that. And, and of course, they're not going to want to be super creative and, and do all this stuff if they don't think that they're going to get the, the credit. And so these are huge problems that do need to be remedied. And so if, Congre- you know, Mayor Ben has, a, pro- has a, sol- a solution to a problem and some bank needs that credit, that should be, you know, a win-win, yeah. right? Yeah. So some of the updates that we talked about as well is, uh, you know, the financial industry is going through huge innovations with fintech and a lot of, you know, things like Venmo and PayPal and all of these things that uh, that don't necessarily fit squarely within the bank box, although you would say they do in some ex- to some extent. But how does CRA apply to them? And so there's there is needs to update it, but can we also make it a better tool for our communities? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the reason I think they do is because a lot of the fintech companies they seem like non-banks, like Venmo and PayPal and all this stuff. Like when you get it on your app, it seems like a non-bank. But if you look at how you link up to that, you have to link up your bank account. They have to have a bank partner to do that financial transaction. So yes, it's not a traditional bank, but it's going through that banking system. And the reason I think that's important is because that banking, like sort of the railroad tracks that this money 
money goes on, that's the Federal Reserve. That's public, right? And banks have a monopoly on that public track. And so if it's public, then everyone should get access. That's sort of my sort of, you know, populist, you know, understanding yeah. of banking is like, look, if, we're, if we have this monopoly that we're giving banks and it's a public utility, right? And we don't want just anyone sticking their, you know, like, uh, you know, plug into that bank payments network because we want to protect it and, and keep it safe. Then we should just allow that open access to everybody. We can expect more from them or expect them to do things to open up opportunities for more communities. Well, Marissa, thanks for talking with us and great to see you. Thank you so much. This is awesome. I want to thank you for listening to Washington. What I'd really love to hear is from you. To follow this journey, subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the KSL radio app, and anywhere you find interesting podcasts. To be part of this experiment in making the world's most powerful city responsive to citizens, please email me at tips at loudmouthproject.com. Washington is a production of the Loudmouth Project.